Welcome to The Lisa Show. You know those obstacles we often have to face that we don't ever really want to face, but there's really no way around them? You mean daily? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was just going to say, like, just whittle it down. Like, you can either tackle them now and just get the pain over with, or you can just kind of hold off on it, worry about it, feel anxious about it for a few days and then finally be like oh all right i'll do it yeah and for and it's never the really hard things i don't feel like like i know for you your hard thing the thing that you just dread doing more than anything is calling the professional to do the work at your house like the plumber or the electrician it's not hard gotta make an appointment that's harder for me than like a a sink full of dishes or something (laughs) i'm like oh no i'll just i'll just take care of it yeah and for me like i have these uh these um like music lists that i have to prepare oh yeah Right. They've said, oh, we want these specific songs. It's easy. It's drag and drop. It's creating know, a playlist. And for whatever reason, it just looms, sits, causes stress. I get to it finally. And then I think, why did I wait I so know. long to do this thing? But you're not alone in that. I, everyone can relate to that on some level. I think we all approach these kinds of tasks from a different perspective. But mm-hmm. knowing why we do it can kind of help us push through and and really maybe look at the situations a little bit differently and seeing how everyone, you know, faces this big and and we should say on big and small levels, yeah. Yeah, right? We, and everything we've certainly and, addressed mm-hmm. some of the smaller things, but there are truly hard things yes. that we have to face. So we wanted to invite leadership guru and author of Hard Easy, Arthur Coombs, to join the conversation to help us talk about how we can make our lives easier by tackling the hard right away. Welcome, Art. Well, thank you for having me. So this, the title of your book is Hard Easy, and and I'm wondering what your overall message is. What's your takeaway of your philosophy on this very issue, whether the, it's big or small? How do we tackle these things? Well, you, you, you guys sort of hit it head on, and I loved the dialogue uh, before I came on. Um, I truly believe, I believe this is as real as gravity you may not understand gravity, you may not agree with gravity, but you jump off a four-story building and gravity will take its place. Will It will make itself known. So the law is really this. You can live hard easy or easy hard. It's your choice. It's your life. So let me give you other examples. You guys raised some great ones just a moment ago, but let me give you some others. Um, it's really easy to get my oil changed. But I procrastinate, and I'm like, oh, I got too much to do. I just don't want to pull into the, you know, to the oil filling station or the gas station or take it to the mechanic. I've got other things I've got pressing that are so much more important. But if I continue to procrastinate that activity and I let it go longer and longer and longer, the more you choose easy, hard will magnify itself down the road. And I tell my kids got to change your oil every three to 5,000 miles. And yet, my son procrastinates, 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 and all of a sudden his engine blows up. And guess what? Instead of a $40 problem for about a half an hour, now he's, got, he's out w- without a car for a week, and it's a $4,000 problem, mm-hmm. which is a classic example. You guys said piling up the dishes, right? It seems so simple. But if you leave them in over and over and over again, all of a sudden you have this huge mound of dishes in your sink that will take you forever to get done. And it'll, the, the dishwasher's full. Now I got it done by hand and it just gets worse and worse and worse. So you can live hard, easy or easy, hard. You choose what's up front. That is your choice that you can choose. You cannot choose the consequences that follow. It's interesting as we talk about the dishes thing. I I don't know that I understand that particular principle because I have these elves that I put all my dishes in the sink, and Mm. and then I come back later and 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 they're all lucky. (laughs) Aren't you blessed? My my, mine mine is the hamper. I've got a magic hamper. (laughs) Uh huh. I throw clothes into this into this this basket sort of thing. And they get washed. Well, clearly I need more magic in my life. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. You just got to be kind of the elves. I'm just a regular gal. You just put put cookies out on the the countertop and the elves will help you. 
Now, I got to ask you, Art, because you use the title guru, and instantly I go, nah, I don't know, guru, Art, what, what, what is, why do you consider yourself to be a guru? <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's get real, real quick here. I do not consider myself a guru. In fact, that is some melodramatic, hyperbolic term label that my PR people wrote in my speaker bio. <laughs> the, I cringe every time I hear it. I'm no guru. I'm just a father. I'm just a dad. I'm just a guy who has lots of, I've faced lots of problems myself, and I've learned through hard knocks. And I, I think I wrote this book because my kids are tired of hearing me give the hard, easy lecture orally. <laughs> They're like, and, write it down. And they, They've told, they've told me out, literally, my son has said, Dad, you give me that hard, easy stuff one more time, I'm going to puke, right? I don't want to hear it anymore. And so I wrote the book literally for my kids and for everyone else who, who are settling. They're settling for mediocrity, and they don't have to. Okay, so what's the first step to sort of change our mind around um, how we're living our lives to make it a little bit easier? Well, I... I think that the first step is just recognizing that we are here to be great. We are here to live rich, abundant lives. We're not here. Now, let me make this very clear. We're not here to compare ourselves to other people. We're not here to say, well, look at this person down here. Their life is amazing. That's the life I want. No, you're here to live the best version of you that you can live. We're all given talents, and we're all given weaknesses. Some, I granted, are given more talents than others. We know that. That's a fact. In this race of life, we don't, we don't all start at the exact same point. Other people have circumstances that are challenging, very challenging. For one, for me, scholastically, I struggled for 25 years of my life. I, I used the way I was born as an excuse to absolve myself of really trying. I have dyslexia, fairly severe dyslexia, and I cannot read and I cannot write like other people read and write. And all through elementary school, all through junior high, all through high school, I just said, I'm a C student. That's who I am. My son is preparing for the ACT, SAT, whatever those, you know, those... All <laughs> of them. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I registered on the lowest of the low. I mean, I, I, because I cannot... You put me in a power test situation like that, and I cannot perform the way other people do. However, dyslexics have strengths that other people don't have. And I think one of the challenges we all face is we get so obsessed with our weaknesses that that that's all we can see, and we make start making excuses for ourselves, just like I did. Well, I've got dyslexia. This is the way I was born. Nothing I can do about it. These are the cards I was dealt. You know, so I'm just not going to do very well in scholastic, scholastically or vocationally. I'm going to do. Uh, you know, I'll just I'm I'm happy with average. Hmm. And I had to break through that. I, I, there came a point when I was 25 years old where I was blessed with a very good friend who sort of just, you're in the right place at the right time, and they say the right things, and your heart is open, and your mind is open, and you go, whoa, okay, this is life-changing. And he sort of slapped me around emotionally. So, so Art, got... I want to ask. I want to ask about that moment. Uh, we're visiting with Art Combs, author of the book Hard Easy. Uh, what What was it that that friend said? Because maybe we don't have that friend. Maybe that's something that we can say to ourselves. But you know, you you say that it's like being slapped upside the the face. What was it that helped you go? Whoa, whoa! Great, 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 great question. So. And I was living in California, and I had a really good friend who had graduated with his bachelor's degree in two years, and then went on to Harvard and graduated top of his class from Harvard. And now he was reaping the rewards of doing that, of being that sensational scholastically. He was reaping the rewards vocationally. And we were hiking in the Sierra Nevadas. 
and we were coming out of the Sierra Nevadas going through Modesto. I'll never forget it. And I turned to him and I said, you know what? I just want you to know you're my scholastic hero. You're someone I really look up to. I could never do what you've done. I just don't have those skills. He pulled his lime green pacer. I'm going to really date myself here. He's <laughs> driving a lime green pacer. He pulls it over to the side of the road, and he got real with me. And he looked me in the eyes, and he said, Art, you are focusing on your weakness. You are imprisoning you. This is all on you. Why are you allowing dyslexia to define who you are? You have strengths that are amazing. You have endurance that you just hiked me into the ground. You have common sense. You're articulate. You're good with people. You have so many strengths. And here you are, and it bugs me because you're focused on your weakness and you are holding yourself back. It was that slap in the face. That's what did it. And I, and I was like, you know what? First of all, there was skepticism. Could this be right? Yeah, am I the one? Am I? I'm, I've always thought it was the gods, right? Mm-hmm. The universe that had given me this dyslexia. You know, they were the ones who were holding me back, not me. I wasn't doing it. But he sort of slapped me on the head. And that, mm-hmm. became, that began a movement. And I remember thinking to myself, could I really get A's in school? Is that possible? And at age 25, I went back to school, started right from the beginning. I mean, right from the beginning, remedial math, remedial English. I was 25 years old. I was two years married, and I was doing conjunction, junction, what's your function? Mm-hmm. I was doing Looking long up. division. Yeah. Are you going to sing the rest of the song, I was going to sing Lisa? the rest of the song, but I didn't want to interrupt your <laughs> <laughs> flow, and I just did. I'm sorry. Well, I'm inspired by what you're saying of like, it's, you know, you, you can start over. It's never too late. You got to rethink that. And I think that uh, collectively, a lot of us are feeling overwhelmed and exhausted, especially by the events of this last year and are thinking, Mm -hmm. oh, that just seems a little bit overwhelming to, to even to have a new attitude about that to those who are feeling frustrated in their current situation. What's the kind of encouragement that you offer them? So, so the very first thing, and I know this seems so, I think a lot of truth is, I don't think they're aha moments. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes people just teach us concepts that we've heard all along, and for some reason they resonate with us. Maybe the story, maybe the emotion, maybe it's where you are at the place. But all I did was I, I came to this realization, and I developed a purpose. So I really believe we start, I love Covey's, you know, Stephen O. Covey's, you start, begin with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. So I developed a goal, a purpose, okay? I am going to get straight A's. That was my goal. I'm going to get straight A's through school. And I developed 10 commandments that were focused on my strengths. And I was going to play the game my way, not the way the scholastic institution wanted me to play it. But I was going to play it my way. Um, so and you, if you want to read the Ten Commandments, you can read my book and you can see the things I did. But I developed these Ten Commandments and I, and I started to – that was my big picture goal, which was to get straight A's all through college. And then I started breaking that down. And I started breaking those classes down. And I started breaking homework down. And I started breaking – it's not – for me, it's – it's, yeah, I've got this big goal, but what's most important are the micro decisions that lead, that ac- build an accumulation. The micro decisions are the big decisions. I tell my kids all the time, don't worry about what school you're going to go to or what you're you know, going to focus on in your major, all that kind of stuff. Focus on your homework now because you're the day, your the day-to-day little smaller experience. Is that what you mean? Yes, exactly. So what happens is when you focus on hard, when you focus on hard now, opportunities magnify themselves. Agency magnifies itself. You have more choices available to you down the road. When you focus on easy, so let's take my son, you know, my kids, they don't do homework. Guess what? If you don't do homework, you've 
barely graduated from school, just like me. I didn't do my homework. I had a low GPA, a terrible SAT and, and ACT scores, and my options were limited. I couldn't choose to go to you know, some fancy university. Mm-hmm. I had to choose the local junior college. That was the only option to me at that time because I had chosen easy. I had chosen easy, and I chose it. No one else chose it. I chose it, and that limited my opportunities. Once I started choosing hard, though, bang, all of a sudden, opportunities started opening up and flooding to me, and I could do a whole host of other things. You know, for some people hearing this, knowing that uh, once we make the decision that that's the first step and that it can be life-changing through just the little things, uh, for for several of us, you have just um, pulled the pace over to the side of the road and yeah. given us a, a little <laughs> slap up the face. So, yeah, it's it's it's, it's true. I, here's here's another thing that as I talk to people, people come up to me and, and they have the exact same comments you guys are having. They're like, yeah, but how do I do this? And, you know, I'm nervous. And, and I, first of all, a lesson I learned a long time ago is excuses do not change results. You have to recognize, recognize the excuses you're using that you're clinging to, whether it's fear or whether it's I don't know how or maybe I, I, I'm just human. That's the granddaddy of them all. I love it and then cringe when I hear people say, I'm just human. You know, I just, I broke the law. I'm human. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like we're supposed to forgive them, absolve them of bad behavior because they're human. That is crazy. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Now, I understand the very definition of humanity is we make mistakes. Or how about the old, the old nurture versus nature? Sure. I was raised this way, or I was born this way. See, I, used, I, I was born this way. I used that. That one I'm very <laughs> familiar with. But I think a lot of people come up to me, and, and the question I often get is, how do you motivate yourself? But what if, you know, what if I'm not motivated? And I tell them, you cannot focus on motivation. People who achieve, people who are successful, and you can define success however you want to. It's not just about money. I think society sometimes associates success with money, sure. but it's not just about money. People who are successful do what they know they should do when they're not motivated. That's what separates those that are successful from those that are not successful. I wake up pretty much every morning at 4.30, and I go work out. That's my regeneration, and my, I, I have my best ideas, and I just I love that time between 5 and 6 in the morning. And I'm always trying to get my kids to wake up early with me. Mm-hmm. And they say, Dad, you're just a morning person. You like waking up early in the mm-hmm. morning. This is like, easy for what? you because yeah. you like it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's easy for you, right? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you crazy? I hate waking up early in the morning. I'd love to snuggle in the bed and get it, you know, sleep a little longer. But I I look past that initial five minutes of pain and I jump up and the joy I have after I've done the workout is so much greater than that pain that I fought through. Mm. Because at that moment, I'm not motivated. I'm not motivated to get up at all. Art Combs, a leadership guru, public speaker, and author of the book Hard Easy. Uh, Make sure you find that on on Amazon and find out more about Art and his work by going to artcombs.com. together a home, you often spend a lot of time decorating the shared spaces, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The first thing I think that, that most people think about when they decorate a home is like the living room and what people see when they first walk in. And then maybe the kitchen, because that's where you spend all of your time, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think uh, for many people, the bedroom is sort of an afterthought. But really, it should be your sanctuary. It should be the the place that, that you go that really not only reflects who you are, but is a place that you can relax and really have this space to 
just be yourself, right? For Yeah. For so much of my life, though, the bedroom for me has just been the place where I don't have to worry about any of that because yeah, no one I comes think, to my bedroom. Yeah. You know well, what I'm I saying? A lot of people relate to that. Yeah. And I think also a lot of parents can relate to the idea that, like, <laughs> for I know for me, like, the bedroom is the place where, like, I need a minute. Yeah. Let yep. me shut the door and just to be able to breathe. And and it has become a sanctuary for me, a place where I can go and take a deep breath and feel relaxed. And certainly the surroundings that we have affect us. So I would be curious, and I know that maybe this will be part of the conversation with friend of the show, Carrie Ann Rhodes, uh, with your kids do you allow them to decorate their own room and have that individual space? Or oh, is there, we're really getting or, into it today. Or is there a today. theme that permeates the Clark household? <laughs> I feel like we need a buffer for this conversation, and that's why we're going to invite friend of the show, Carrie Ann Rhodes, who is um, not only an interior designer, but a, a parent and a decorating enthusiast, which and, I think is different than an interior designer. And apparently also a mediator for today's yeah. conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. Welcome, Carrie Ann. Thank you. Good morning. I'll, I'll let me get my uh, referee shirt on here. Just a minute. Just a minute. Got it on. Okay. Okay. okay good, 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 good. Uh we sort of queued up this conversation by saying that sometimes the bedroom is the afterthought, right, of of decorating. And and a lot of people make mistakes uh, when decorating their bedroom. And I've heard this anecdotally from a lot of friends who are interior designers. What mistakes are, are most people making? Okay, it's you're absolutely right. All too often people leave the 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 main bedroom of the house to the last thing they do. Mm -hmm. And um, that I am totally guilty of that. My, my previous move, I made the smartest decision I ever made by getting that room ready first before, before all the other rooms. And I loved my bedroom for the seven years that we lived in that house. And in this house that I have lived in for four years, we have left it to the last and I regret it to this day. Hmm. So, some of some of the common mistakes that that people still tend to make in bedrooms are um, buying matching furniture, so oh. that you know you buy a bedroom set and it comes with like a bed and night tables and a dresser. Um, think of the prices right. Right. <laughs> of winning that. Of winning it's that all together though, set. but it's convenient. <laughs> Why is this a mistake? Um, having it be too matchy matchy is. Um, you're just you're losing an opportunity to kind of personalize the space hmm. or make it a lot more interesting. And honestly, the matchy matchy look is about on par with the prices. Right? I think of it as being very it's very 80s and earlier to have a totally matching bedroom set. The you know, the only two items that I feel like you could get away with having with matching in a bedroom are maybe the night tables. Hmm. Okay. It. Hmm. Ooh, hot take. Yeah, that, that, that is a... <laughs> yeah, there, but, the, but to that point, one of the things that I really love about a bedroom set is I go to the store and I buy the bedroom mm, set and then they all, they all match <laughs> and I'm done. Uh-huh. I don't have to go. It, it, but there is a part, and I know that, that there are some that are more enthusiastic about decorating mm-hmm. like this, but there is... That that simplicity in decorating that that needs to be voiced in the I bought the set and now the set is set up. Right. And at said store where you can buy the set, you can also just buy the night tables and then buy a different dresser. And so it's it's not you're not losing convenience. Hmm. You're just you're just avoiding that kind of um it's it's just not as fun and creative. Yeah. And if it's not your thing, go ahead buy the mat buy the matching bedroom set. But those stores have people that are designers there, and they can tell you can tell them, hey, look, I want to buy some bedroom furniture, but I don't want it to be too matchy matchy. What do you suggest? And they still they'll still help you and guide you and and make that decision less hard. So, all right, I'm, well I'm then, encouraging some creativity. Yeah. So. I, th- I think even foundationally, though, what about the colors on the walls? Um, I-, I know that sometimes, you know, a color that you might like might not be relaxing. Um, and-, and-, and this is a this is a, a decorating uh, sort of a topic that I think that a lot of people also argue about. 
it's true. Like how how much of a sanctuary or how peaceful, you know, do you want your bedroom to get? I've I've got I've got written down a few designer gaffes here. Okay. Well, not they weren't done by the designers. They were done by the homeowners, and the designers discovered them in the bedroom. One was red walls, blood red in the in the bedroom, and the designer was a little disturbed. She found it alarming rather than. Um, peaceful, mm-hmm. and and she was trying to imagine what were the homeowners, what was the intention here of the of the you know deep red walls. So um, there needs to be a balance between that kind of serenity, but also interest, like like having some textiles that have an interesting pattern could be as far as you want to go with interest, like having an interesting bed cover or. Mm. Um, Having maybe some subtle wallpaper, maybe that kind of brings in the interest. But uh, whoever you're sharing this bedroom with, that's that's who you need to you know have this conversation with. There, there's been a lot of back back in the day, the the main bedroom of the house often became too feminine, hmm. and um, you know there was a revolt, and the the pendulum has swung the other way, and bedrooms now. Um, the trend is to be way more gender neutral hmm. and a lot more relaxing. I like the I like the sound of that. Now, as we sort of had this conversation, as we, we queued go. this up, yep. we we I'm talked ready. about decorative pillows and <laughs> the, listen, hot take and the the <laughs> amount, the number that is permissible. I would like to start here. The need even for no. a Ooh. decorative pillow. Why, why, if it does not serve the purpose of where I lay my head in the evening or to take a nap, <laughs> do I need more than said pillow? Do you have a good throw pillow guideline is what we're asking. Uh, <laughs> this really comes down. Well, I mean, there there is a trend if you want to follow trends and if you want to you know, have your bedroom look more up to date. Fewer pillows is the trend. Right I need now. a number. What's the number? <laughs> you got your okay. I just Sean. want you to know that 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 Richie here in the studio is air high fiving no one. I'm air high fiving myself. No one because fewer. <laughs> I think fewer is a number. How many? And I'm being serious, and I want to know from yeah, both we of you want right a now. How how many do you have on your bed, <sighs> Carrie Ann Rhodes? Okay, I have. Um, Two pillows for each of us. So, okay. so we there's two of us that share this bed. So, Todd gets two pillows. I get actually I have three right now. Oh, I need to replace my pillows. It's because they're starting to pancake and get flat. Sure. And then I have one long body pillow. And the body mm-hmm. pillow serves two purposes. Um, I like to sleep with a long pillow when I sleep on my side, but it also functions as like a pillow for when the bed is made. It goes behind all the other pillows mm. and then our sleeping pillows kind of stack in front of it. And that is it. I, I do not allow pillows on my bed that don't get slept with. Hmm. Um, and I believe in uh, having, I, I love sheet sets and I love duvets. That's how we, you know, do our bed. And I have, we're consistent with our duvet, but our sheet sets, changes. And so we have, you know, multiple pillowcases that can mix and match with those duvets. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like. I hate hmm. taking pillows. I hate making my bed. So I hate adding pillows that aren't necessary. And at night, when my bed, even when it's made or during the day, uh-huh. the idea is that you can come in and lay down on your bed or relax in your room for a minute without having to remove things or then replace them to have your room look nice. All right. So, that's the trend right now. So okay. I want to press pause then, and I want to get to the bottom of this question with you, Lisa Valentine-Clark. Oh, I knew how it. Many pillows, oh, how many pillows, first of all, do you use to <laughs> sleep with? And that's fine, permissible, but then uh, I know there's got to be a decorative pillow or 10. How many are we talking about on your bed right now? I feel very vulnerable right now. I have... Three pillows to sleep with on each side. Perfect. Three on each side. (laughs) Okay. So that's six for those counting at home. Because I sleep in a king bed Uh like Uh a princess. Yeah. Yeah. Like Like a queen in a king bed. And then I have... 
three throw pillows in the middle. So so nine. You are one person <laughs> with nine. When you say it like pillows. that, my number's nine. Carrie is one. Yep. I <laughs> I have a pillow, and this is not this is not exaggerated. It's one flat pillow. It is, is that how one, I imagine? It is no. one flat pillow that Gross. I have probably had since college. No, and I'm not oh, and I'm not exaggerating. No. That's unsanitary. No, I have washed it a couple of times. No, you don't wash Richie, pillows. Oh, Richie, I imagine that that pillow looks like a Civil War bandage, <laughs> which doesn't have a pillowcase on it. <laughs> Listen. Please buy a new pillow. If I had known, I would not have brought you ice cream for Christmas. So have more than pillow. one, less than nine. Yeah, it's what, what I'm hearing. It's okay. what I'm hearing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so moving away from the throw pillow controversy. Yeah, let us unite. Can we unite, let's, please? Let's let's unite on, on the uh, topic of lighting. Because I have very okay. strong feelings about this. And I, and I think that, that, that you do, too. I do. I <laughs> in my in my 1950s house, I actually have fluorescent um, tube lighting behind um, behind the curtain. What? What's tube lighting? Like like the kind of lights that go in like an office, like it like the long fluorescent tube. Like think know? of Joe versus yeah, the volcano, no, that's what I where there's that little flickering in yeah. the long tube fluorescent okay. light. That's awesome. <laughs> Good for it you. Is a leftover vestige from from ages past in my house, and um, it is not desirable. But what here? What here's what is desirable? Different um, different lighting levels. There are mm-hmm. times when I'm I'm cleaning up or I'm doing a task where I need some just I need some bright light to yes. get into those corners to get under the bed. And I do have a ceiling fan that was all that was cur- you know already there, and I. I love a breeze at night. I can't help it even in the wintertime. So it does have lights on it. And I appreciate that because I can turn on full light and have my room be lit in order to clean it, to do something in there, to fold laundry, kind of whatever. But we have, um, we have our own lights that hang. We have pendant lights that hang over our side tables so that we don't take up space on the because mm. I need I need all the space I can on my um, night table for all of my junk, right? So, um, pendant light uh, helps you. Uh, hanging from the ceiling is a nice soft light that is more of nighttime. I'm going to bed. I'm powering down. Um, it's gentle. It's low wattage, kind of whatever. Uh, but if you if you are a person that reads in bed. You might want to look into some kind of reading light that's more task oriented, so that your partner, who who might be sleeping, um, can go ahead and sleep, but you can read. I mean, all this kind of really depends on what do you do in bed. Are you a TV watcher? You know, then maybe you don't need a reading light. Are you um, a phone looker? <laughs> a phone looker. <laughs> maybe you don't need any. Um, light at all <laughs> and you just need uh your reading glasses right you next your blue light, <laughs> your blue <glasses>. light. <laughs> uh, i love i love a bedroom that is just dark and cool and nothing mm-hmm. going on so that i can just go in there because that huh. i i i have never had a tv in my bedroom it's a thing that i have sort of been against i'll watch tv in a different room so that my bedroom whether it be nap or nighttime it's just that's where i go and then because I've trained myself that way, I can just go to sleep. I don't find myself having too many sleepless nights once I get into the bedroom. That's definitely a philosophy of like having some good sleep habits is how you use your bedroom. Hmm. And if you don't sleep well um, and you do have a TV, like consider making some big habit changes of where you watch that TV and what you do at night so that you hmm. can walk into a room and your, your body knows, oh, it's sleepy time. And I'm going to lay down and sleep. I think like many parents, uh, especially parents of young children, quickly find out that this is a place, uh, your bedroom is sometimes a place to hide, you know, (laughs) as a sanctuary just to have a minute. I'm being totally serious. I've talked to a lot of moms who have, you know, their secret treat drawer in their bedroom and (laughs) they have, you know, it's a place where they can, you know, have a minute. And I know that that like, uh, you know. They won't let the pets go in there or the little, you know, for whatever reason, when we're creating this kind of space, 
I, I feel like we brought up a really good point in that you need to know what it's for, right? Like what you're yeah. using your bedroom for. And it depends on the, the size of your house and, and how you use it. But are there things that we haven't mentioned about setting up your bedroom that, that you feel like we need to consider? Um, if you're if you are using a designer, um, your designer will have a thorough questionnaire about um, what you want this room to kind of function as. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, a, a questionnaire you can kind of give yourself is how do I want this room to function? And um, sometimes the space you have is going to kind of constrict maybe what your dream is for that, you know, space. Like I would love a sitting area in my bedroom, but, you know, that's not realistic right now in the room in the bedroom that we have um do you uh, another another kind of big no-no is exercise equipment in the room because a lot of times people will put it in a bedroom because that's just kind of where it fits Mm -hmm. and is that how you want to use your bedroom or is that exercise equipment just going to become a clothes hanger later Mm -hmm. because you don't want to exercise in your sanctuary you know the answer is clothes hanger it will it will always become you got to know if you're going to use it or not well, now, yeah i have that's that's the, those are my strong feelings is okay. like get the exercise equipment um putting um if you don't have a wall to wall carpeting in your bedroom um using the appropriate size rug hmm. so that the room feels like cohesive and it feels proportional and you don't have these little like bath mats and you know that end up just kind of on the sides of your bed just to keep the crumbs off your feet or whatever. But um, just having like appropriate size um, furniture and rugs really help make everything feel cohesive and like a sanctuary. But I do- Friend of the show, Carrie Ann Rhodes, helping us uh, decorate our bedrooms, being mindful. Certainly, I feel like the greatest takeaway lesson is the number of <laughs> pillows which you are allowed on your bed. More than one. But less, less than, than nine. nine. Uh, great to have uh, Professor Professor Carrie Ann Rhodes here on the show with us, Professor in Interior Design. know how screen time affects us personally, individually, right? Uh, And we have heard, and we talked about this on the Lisa show a lot of times, how it can increase the trouble that you have either going to sleep or staying asleep. It can increase depression and anxiety. All of these things make the list of of the individual effects of, of screen time. But what effect does it have on our families as a unit? Does it impact the way we interact and bond with each other? You know, the other day I was having dinner with my family and it was taking a little bit longer to prepare the meal. So I was just kind of putting out the sides and and cutting up the meat and setting the table and just kind of in my own sort of world as I'm like, okay, this is 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 winding down and as anyone who prepares large meals know like <laughs> timing is everything right sure. like you're like oh and then this will come out and this will be hot and then well so I was really in my own head about it and I was calling my kids to dinner and they all came up and they were all sitting there and it was really quiet so I wasn't really paying attention to what was going on because I was too focused on on making the meal but then I looked up and I had this moment where I looked around and all five of my kids were just like looking at a screen (laughs) really quiet sitting next to each other it was really eerie all the same screen no okay no that would have at least been yeah because like, i was gonna say that's together at least, that's like, like bonding un- yeah that's unifying experience. that's uh, we're experiencing the same moment no 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 you're saying five individual yeah. different screens and and so you know it was weird because you know some were watching tiktok videos another one was like texting another mm-hmm. one was just like watching a a Netflix show and just kind of like patiently waiting for dinner. Like they weren't being rude. And I, but I was thinking, I was struck with how different it was when they were smaller, Mm -hmm. when they were waiting for dinner, it would have been teasing and laughing and eating food. And like, just, it would have been so much more active. It would have pulled me out of, you know, just the hustle of, 
preparing and and plating dinner that I thought, you know, is this what we wanted? You know, like earlier, I might have been like, you guys, settle down. Everybody like focus. Like, no, we're going to start dinner. Like, we let's all talk together or whatever. And it would have been loud and, and crazy and chaotic. And it was eerily like calm and and just sort of eerie. Yeah, is, but not but not word. connected if I'm but hearing not you, connected. right? And so it made me think that maybe the the objectives that we think we had as parents of like everybody be together and be calm is not <laughs> really what we're looking for. We're looking for the loud and the crazy because at least we are connecting in a real way in real life. And having um, non-screen interaction, it just made me stop to consider how we function as a family. Now, that was just one instant. That was one case. If I'm being very, uh, you know, transparent, I, I, I think my kids are pretty good, or we try to mm-hmm. be about no phones at the dinner table. You know, no phones in your bedroom, like. There is a time and a place for social media and for screen time, but there are also different rules, and the rules are less for for behavior but more for habits. Hmm. I just want them to be able to have the habit of being able to quiet their mind and, and interact with the family, and um, and I've certainly tried to to model that. It's it's difficult because when I'm talking with my friends a lot, they'll say, and I'm I. It's hard for me to, you know, put a a limit on this or to tell them to put their phone down because I have a hard time doing it. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. it's looking at our own behavior. And this isn't to put this discussion isn't to put, you know, blame on anybody. But it is an opportunity, I think, that as we all live in families, we all live in communities to take a step back and to ask ourselves the question, what kind of effect it is uh, screen time having on our family. And and how much screen time may be too much or dangerous. Uh, today, we want to share, uh, have, have someone share with us the effects of screen time, the ways we can reduce it, and how we can give our kids what they are seeking on screens. We have Dr. Meg Meeker, the country's leading authority on parenting, teens, and children's health. Welcome, Meg. Thanks so much for having me. Beside the individual effects screens have, um, which I think that we've had a lot of attention on as of late, especially in the scientific community, how do they affect us as a family? Well, I think really what they do is they allow every person in the family sort of to live in their own zone. So we're living kind of parallel lives. We're not connecting. And I think that as far as kids are concerned, it really is hard for them if parents are on the phone because they feel like they're not seen. And so Mm. I think that everybody on their phone in the same um, home feels like they're really not together. And I think this is very hard on the relationships. I I think it's hard on the parent-child, the sibling relationships, uh, marital relationships, because really there's parallel living, there's no connection. Uh, What are some practical things that have actually worked that you've seen, you know, the ways in which families are able to change? I think that um, one of the things it's really important to do is if you're going to ask your kids to back off on screens, it's important for uh, for parents to sort of give an idea of what they can do in substitute, you know, um, to, to offer kids to, hey, let's all go for a bike ride. Let's play a game. Now, you say that to a 16-year-old, they're going to roll their eyes, mm-hmm. okay? Right. But <laughs> after a while, if they learn that this is sort of just family time, community time, let's do something, after about a month, kids are okay with it. Because, believe it or not, kids don't want to be on phone parents do underneath it all. And so I think that if we sort of come together and say, okay, whoever wants to play a game or whoever wants to do this or whoever wants to, um, you know, go outside and let's do this. But I think it's important for parents to offer an alternative to being on the screens, mm-hmm. even if at first their kids balk and say, oh, I don't like this. Eventually it does work. We did this with our kids, and it, and it really worked. The first few weeks were horrible, right. I'll tell you that. <laughs> 
It's the but pain after, of it. It is. But but after a while, kids kids get into it in a rhythm, and, and they find they're calmer, and they find they enjoy that time more. Because being on a phone and being on social media and being playing video games, it really revs kids up, and it makes them a little anxious, and um, they like um, pulling away from that and, and feeling a little calmer. We're talking with Dr. Meg Meeker about uh, screen time and its effects on not only the individual, but certainly on the family, the connectivity, things that we talk a lot about here on the Lisa Show. So if I'm hearing you correctly, so far what I've learned is I can't do the parenting principle of do as I yes. say, not as I do. That's a, that's a, that's a good takeaway as far yeah, as this goes. we're not doing that. <laughs> But also being able to provide alternatives and, and those opportunities for connectivity. What other pieces of advice do you have uh, as as we try and make, as, as we've sort of queued up, this switch from lots of screen time, we're in our homes a bunch, to, oh, there's a whole world outside of our doors? Right. One of the things I think that can be really helpful, because kids who um, whose parents say, you know, you can't be on screen time or you can't have this or you can't have that, feel very lonely. So if parents can find, say a mother can find two or three or four mothers in her kids' class or that they're friends with and say, okay, you know, we're going to all support each other in doing this. So your kid can't come into school and go, I'm the only one. My kid, kid can't. <laughs> because but part of the issue for kids is feeling left out. And so if you can get some sort of like a mom squad, if you will, and say we're going to support each other so that, and, and our kids are going to know this. They all know that Mrs. So-and-so and Mrs. So-and-so is on board with this, and we're all doing it together. That makes kids feel a little less isolated. And, and that can really help. Yeah. I want to go back to that idea that you talked about living parallel lives, because I feel like it is at really at the heart of this issue of what we're trying to co- connect together and, and that people crave those connections. You know, we've had a lot of discussions here on this show about about how people are anxious and depressed and lonely, and they're seeking that kind of connection. And I, I, I wonder what you have observed from the increase, you know, for those critics who might be thinking, well, you know... What else are you going to do? It's too much work. I'm too tired when I come home from from work to offer an alternative or I can't reach out to, you, you know, sort of the naysayers um, yeah. to, to talk a little bit about the benefits of having a, those kinds of connections with our spouse and with our children so that we don't live those parallel lives. Right. Well, you know, there is a lot of research coming out, and it's really pretty startling. We know that the more time a girl spends on social media, for instance, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever, um, TikTok, they, there's, um, a, an, a, 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 there's a correlation, a very clear correlation. The more time she spends on social media, the more likely she is to get depressed because even though parents think they're, quote-unquote, connecting with other kids, really what they're doing is these uh, mediums are show-off zones. Okay, for girls. Girls always want to make themselves look a, a little uh, prettier, a little smarter. I got this boyfriend, whatever. And I've seen, and I've seen it very clearly in my practice, that this really is very demoralizing for girls. So it isn't good connection. So, um, but if you sit down and tell your daughter, you can't do it because it's not a good connection, it's not going to resonate. So I think it's really important that when you are together with your kids, that as often as you can, make eye contact, sit down and just say, hey, how was your day? I haven't really seen you. If you're going to go change the oil in your car on a Saturday, say, hey, son, you know what? I haven't connected with you this week. Just come and go to that. So to pull your kids into your world whenever you can, because when you have that one-on-one talk, even if it's not significant talk, it doesn't matter. It makes kids feel like their parents want to be with them. They know they're still in the house living there, and they just want to hear from them. And so I think that those those are sort of the touchdown moments that parents can do that really will help pull the the kids back together into the home. And mealtime, and I know a lot of parents 
can't, you know, have meals with the kids because everybody's running here and there. But at least on weekends, have a mealtime where everybody's together, no phones, and just go around and say, you know, everybody has to say one thing nice about the person to their left or some, some kind of a game just to get people talking. Believe it or not, those make kids feel so good. They want more. Yeah. They really do. I uh, is, wow. is, is there technology available to limit screen time? Go with me for a I second. Know, that's ironic. Watching an old episode of the Brady Bunch where all the Brady kids kept wanting to be on the phone, <laughs> oh, and they and yeah. and, da- and Dad gets the pay phone, and so they had to do the chores to get the quarters to use the phone. Is there a uh, like a modern a, equivalent? A, yeah, is there a modern <laughs> equivalent that, like, yeah, you get an hour of screen time and use it however, and then, like, their phone or their iPad or whatever their device is, it's just like, yep, you're used up. Yeah. Well, you know, I love the Gab phone, which is which is brand new, which allows kids to have a phone, take pictures, you know, uh, play some games. Um, they can text, but they can't get on the Internet. Because I, th- I think the real problem for particularly younger kids, 16 and younger, is um, is the Internet. Just they can't stop from that. Um, aside from the Gab phone, which is fabulous, I think that there are some controls that parents can put on their kids' computers. For instance, I know if kids are on a device in the house, I believe there's a program called Circle um, where all the parents know, or the parents know exactly where their kids are, what they're online all the time. And so I think I think the monitoring thing can help. Obviously, you don't want to stand over your kid's shoulder and watch what they're doing. But if you can know basically, okay, who are they talking to? What are they doing? Um, that can really help. And I want to encourage parents, if they see something, they need to be bold enough to say, nope, you got to get off that. Because mm-hmm. parents are very sensitive to their kids' quote-unquote privacy. But when it comes to privacy on the Internet, all bets are off. There's no privacy um, because the whole world is seeing what your kid is doing. You should be seeing it, too. Where can people learn more about you and uh, your research and the kind of advice that you have? Sure. Um, go to meekerparenting.com. And um, Gab has offered my listeners um, 10% off a phone if they use my code if they go to my website. So, All right. Awesome. Dr. Meg Meeker, the country's leading authority on parenting, teens, and children's health. Uh, find her on Instagram at MegMeekerMD and listen to her podcast, Parenting Great Kids. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. You know, I wish, I wish to have the technology like we saw in the Brady's. I know. So follow me here. You get like the little square, you know, the little the thing yeah. where you run a credit card, oh, right? Yeah, so yeah, then yeah, you yeah, give yeah. your kids like the pay. Yeah, you swipe. give your you give your kids <laughs> essentially like a debit card that yeah. you put money on for when they do their chores and when they need to get 15 more minutes on their phone, they swipe their in-home debit card. That sounds like a system to yeah. me. It is a method or a technique. It is not a system.